Hi, I'm Erica Ramirez, founder of Illy and host of What About Your Friends, a podcast dedicated to the many lives of friendship and how it's portrayed in pop culture. Every Wednesday on the Ringer Dish feed, I talk to my best friend, Stephen Othello, and your favorites from within the Ringer and beyond about friendships on TV, in movies, pop culture, and our real lives. So join me every Wednesday on the Ringer Dish feed, where we try to answer the question TLC asked back in the day, what about your friends? This episode is brought to you by Hyundai. What does your next drive look like? Running between meetings? Maybe a getaway with the whole family? Either way, the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the capable SUV that's built for your life with premium interiors, available wireless charging, and room for your whole cargo and crew. Okay, Hyundai. Visit HyundaiUSA.com to learn more about the all-new 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. All right, welcome back, everybody. Uh, Man, it's a pleasure to have... You know what? Here's what I got to say. It is fun talking to talented, interesting people. Let me just say that I'm a very lucky person. I not only get to talk to these type of people on my little podcast here, sometimes I get to work with these people. Woo! (laughs) Bonus round, everybody. That is the case here. Uh, She's a very talented director, artist, writer. You know, if there's something out there, performer that yes, can, actor. Can, actor that can be done, she not only does it, but is always interesting when she does it. And primarily, she's a director these days, and she has a new movie called The Perfect Find, which is streaming on Netflix now, starring Gabrielle Union. Numa Perrier, welcome to Black on the Air. Hi. Hi, everybody. Very happy to be sitting with you. We it's never so get nice. a chance to actually talk because we've been so deep in the work. Yeah. I know. I worked with Numa on Reasonable Doubt, uh, which she came in and crushed for us, of course. Um, and, uh, you know, you're just such a, just talking to you, you're such an interesting person. You have so many interesting things that you've done and you get your little fingers in and all that kind of stuff. So when I saw your name as I go, Oh yeah, let's have new one. This would be fun. It'd be fun to talk to her. How are you doing by the way? How's it going? I'm good. Our movie dropped on Netflix at midnight yeah. uh, last night, Very which, exciting. you know, stayed up for and cried Aww. when I saw the screen. <laughs> this is your first like big movie, right? This is, well, you know, I would definitely call my first movie. Yes, a big of course. Movie yeah, well, yeah. But you know, it's micro budget, you know, indie Correct. feature. This is my first studio film. Studio film. Let's put it like that. Yeah, yeah this yeah. is my first film that, right. you know, it's like, it's got, um, the backing of a major studio. Yeah. Um, but Jezebel was also Jezebel uh, is very important. Netflix. Yeah. So it, yeah, it's a big day. Um, it's a big and day for our, our entire team. I'll tell the audience who recorded this uh, a little while ago, just, just so people know they're, they're like, wait, what day are they talking about? <laughs> yeah. This is oh yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> right. So the day that we're recording this is Friday, June 23rd. That's when we're recording this. Yeah. Just so people okay. know. that's the big day. Okay. But anyhow, go ahead. Yeah, I'm good. It, it's a big day. It's a proud day. It's, been a long road mm. uh, and now we're here yeah the movie's out so people get to see what i've been up to for the last i know week. how uh <laughs> when did you do let's talk about the movie first the perfect find is the mm. name of it uh basically i guess you call it a rom-com that's the name of this of the genre what, yeah. what can you tell us about it it's kind of a i don't want to call it may december i in fairness, I have to say May, September, you know, we used to do May. <laughs> in all the fairness, right? Yeah, in fairness. I'm like, I'm like, does everybody, does everybody know like what May, December I know, is? it's such an <laughs> old term, right? yeah. but now they do. Uh, now, you know, they call it generation gap oh, now, I don't okay. know. But, well, they used to, they used to use that term a long time ago too. And so uh, yeah. that's an old school so term. Who's, who's supposed to be the May and who's supposed to be the December? Uh, May um is the younger person and oh, okay. september december would be the older person oh i see so it's just in yeah. logical order okay got and it exactly kind of like how dates actually work numa numa come on <laughs> you, start <laughs> you have an old school heart don't try to wake up in december wait you have an old school heart don't even try to come in here and, and act and like you don't know woman. what i'm talking about yeah exactly okay. <laughs> I know and you're a grown ass about, yes. very grown. The movie definitely deals with, you know, grown people stuff. Yes. Um, you know, I really related to the script mm-hmm. uh, because it was, a, you know, it's about a woman who is going through 
a big heartbreak and a big mm-hmm. career upheaval kind of all at the same time. And she's got to pick herself back up and she's got to figure out what her next chapter is and mm-hmm. what she even like anymore. And what does love look like for her? And mm-hmm. so she does fall in love again in an unexpected way with someone mm-hmm. much younger who also happens to be her boss's Complications. Son. <laughs> yes. So that's how you get the whole, you know, rom-com of it all. It's got that, attention it's got those obstacles but it has all of the you know all of the falling in love and both of them eric and jenna even though they have a significant generation you know between them they fall in love over their love of vintage black hollywood Mm -hmm. film and that was something else that i really fell in love with while reading the script that's like you said you know i've got that old soul that I love that generation so much and I love the stars and the films from that time. And so when I saw that that was part of the script as well, and part of what Jenna loved, it made it feel even more personal to me. So I said, I'm definitely going to, you know, do everything I can to uh, weave that thread all the way through the film. So that's what we did. Yeah. There's so much to unpack in that, you know, uh, and what I want to come back to maybe a little bit is about that central theme, because there's so much in there. But talk about how you got involved with it. Were you approached about this? Were you sent the script? Uh, how, how did you come on board? Yeah, I was sent the script. Mm-hmm. Uh, my agent sent me the script and I met with the producer, uh, Glendon Palmer, on a general, really. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then I got the script pretty much right after that. And yeah, I just, I fell in love with the script. I met with the rest of the producers. They wanted to know, you know, what my ideas were. Mm-hmm. And I thought about the casting. And was, was Gab Union involved at that time? She, she was, was already atta- attached. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So she was attached to play Jenna. So I felt excited about that because, yeah. you know, I'd love to work with her. And I also felt like, oh, um, this movie has a good chance of getting made. You know, she's actually attached and she's a producer immediately I knew how much she cared about the project and how important it was for her for uh, this next chapter in her career so yeah we just were we just got each other right away we were just kind of instantly in sync Mm -hmm. and you know we got to work as soon as we could it was the pandemic so there were a lot of delays Mm. along the way Um, but yeah we got through it so had you met her before at all I'd never met her before. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I think I'd seen maybe about half of her work. She has mm-hmm. such a large body. Oh, of work. man. It's amazing when you unpack the when things that really she's start done. Looking yeah. into Gabrielle really? Union, all of her movies. And so because we were delayed for a year, we were supposed to film the first summer 2020. Um, we didn't film until the summer 2021. Oh, wow. And so I spent that entire year doing a very deep dive on uh, Miss Gabrielle Union. <laughs> wow. So by the end of that year, I had watched everything. And You're the Gabby whisperer. Yeah, mm-hmm. so I knew it. I knew all her stuff. You know, I knew, I knew her little tricks. I knew her habits. Wow. I knew how she was always dressed. Her little tricks. I knew how they always did her hair, like mm-hmm. read all of her books, mm-hmm. you know. So I really used that time to, you know, get as close to her as possible without actually spending, you know, time with her. Interesting as a director, you would do a deep dive on the person. Um, is that something you've done before or was it because of her in particular that you thought I need to have a, a sense of her, of who she is? You know what I mean? As opposed to the character. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. it is something that I do, you know, in my film Jezebel, I knew almost everyone that I cast, you mm-hmm. know, those are that had been in my acting class mm-hmm. or people I had worked with in the web series space. So I knew them and I, I knew how they moved and I knew what language they spoke. Mm-hmm. You know, Gabrielle Union is a star yeah. who lets us into her life, but still she only lets you in as much as, you know. Right. As, That's how it works. Yeah. So I think you can really get to know somebody by their body of work. If you really look at what they do, you mm-hmm. know, you can, get to, you can get a feel for 
just how they approach the work. Hmm. And so, and also how they've been directed before. So that I was really, I really got into the nitty gritty of it. I could really just see, okay, you know, in the TV space, she likes the side of her face. Like you can just, you just learn so much about someone. Um, And really it was her book that where I felt like, oh, I, I feel like I really understand this woman. Mm-hmm. I understand why this movie is important to her. Mm-hmm. Uh, I need that when I'm working with someone, um, especially when they're trusting me to kind of open up their career in a way, yeah. um, you know, or open up in a character in a certain way. I need to find that connection to them somehow. And so yeah, I created it by stalking her for a year. <laughs> <laughs> she doesn't know that every night I was watching something that she was in. Wow. You know, she has so much work that it took yeah. a year to cover it all. Before you, uh, did you do any work on the script at all? Were you that or or did you uh, pretty much uh, shoot what you were given there? I definitely what did some process? work on the script, okay. uh, un- uncredited. <laughs> yes, well, there you go. Uh, you know, but I did. And we also, you know, we started off, you know, from a really strong place. So we, we have the book, which is a great anchor for us. And then we have, you know, the script that Lee Davenport adapted, which was like a, a very strong jumping off point. And then, you know, from there, I went in and did things here and there. Um, but also we did a lot of improv. So, you know, oh, okay. that's interesting. We had a lot. I gave a lot of creative freedom on the set. Um, just for them to say the lines or not say the lines or... Now, when you're doing improv, what is your process for that? Are you doing it because you're looking for some maybe spontaneity in the performance or maybe you're looking for a different connection to the text or you just... Uh, is it something that comes from the actors? What is your philosophy behind that? I've done a little bit of that in television, but for specific purposes sometimes. And- for me, it's really about the freedom and the playfulness you know, and, um, creating a safe space where, because I'm an actor, I understand Mm. other actors, you know, um, you know, pretty well. And I understand how brave it is, no matter what kind of role you're doing, you know, it's very brave to be an actor. Um, and I just think that to loosen things up a bit and to give a spirit of play, is what this film in particular needed. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sometimes they would go right back to the script and be exactly scripted, mm-hmm. but then they still had the freedom. They weren't worried because a lot of our cast works a lot in TV and, you know, in TV, we don't get to do that a lot. So many pages you go through. Yeah. yeah. Just depending on the show. I try yeah. I'm directing TV. I try to ask, you know, you know, I think you remember even yeah. reasonable doubt. Is it okay if they improv a little bit on this yeah. scene? You know, you can't always do it that way because things have to run very clockwork different kind of schedule and it depends sometimes depending on what you're working on you may have a little more leeway in that you know yeah but because so many you know like Aisha Hines Gina Torres and you know even Gabrielle they've worked so much in the tv space Mm -hmm. they weren't used to that you know (laughs) and so I kind of had to really show them that it's okay it's okay if you just do your own thing and don't worry I'm going to bring you back if we need to be brought back. But it really opened up their humor. Yeah, I was going to say, especially for comedy, that can really be advantageous. Yeah, 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 yeah. and I think that it just opened up. They all have really great comic chops, you know, even if we've never seen them in a comedy. I'm like, Aisha Hines is hilarious. Keith Powers is so funny. He came up with some of the best one-liners, you know, in the film. (laughs) Uh Yeah, so I like to work that way in general. And on a movie, you know, I get to really do what I want. So, yeah. We did that. <laughs> How do you handle like, okay, so that's a, that's a good uh, thought about the calm part of it. Now the ROM part of it, I always feel like that can be kind of a challenge. Cause like, what if there's no chemistry between the leads, you know, like how do you manufacture that? You know, do you spend extra time with the ROM part of it? Like even before you start shooting, are they, are you, do you do rehearsals? Like, well, what is that? What is the process of that? So very important to me as well. Uh, you know, the ROM part is, is if you don't have that, you don't really have a movie. You don't have a movie. Uh, yeah. You don't have a movie. And so it has to be there naturally, okay. but then you have to know how to milk it. Uh, Keith and Gabrielle had it naturally. They already knew each other. Mm-hmm. That helps. 
Um, the chemistry between the entire cast is really important. Oh, and the love story, it's, you know, it's number one. Mm-hmm. Because they had the natural chemistry, I already felt excited and encouraged that we were going to be okay. Um, but it's the fact that they liked milking it, you know, oh, they really? didn't <laughs> go in the places that where I wanted to go, you know, like, you know, you do so many takes of a kiss, right? And yeah. I told them, you know, these, every kiss counts in this movie. When you first fall in love with someone, that's when the kisses are the best. Yeah. <laughs> those kisses are everything. You know, those are the things that you're thinking about when you're not with that person. And I said, these every kiss has to feel just so electric. And you mm. do so many takes of a kiss after a while, it can kind of become like this. Yeah. Like, how does it? I would direct them. I would say, okay, well, you know, this take, you guys, the kiss was like this, but I need to be like, this, you know, and like this, <laughs> I wouldn't have to say much. I would just move my hand and they understood, you know, no, it seems to me like I can understand why actors get together you know, when they do movies like this, but at the, at the other side of it, it seems like they could get sick of each other fast too, you know? Yeah, they could. I mean, anything can happen. I think we did okay on this movie. I, you know, uh, Keith and Gab were fine and they had, they were just, you know, in between takes, they would just be talking to each other. Mm-hmm. You know, they just really like each other and they just really had the natural thing between them. So yeah. I just said, I just, you know, thanked the the cinematic heaven um, because if I didn't have that, you can't yeah. manufacture it. That's the thing. It's probably better if they hate each other rather than being different, you know, because at least if they hated each other, you'd have the spark of the hate, you know, you know what I mean? Yeah. 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 But, you know, they had it naturally, but we definitely milked yeah. it um, and they leaned more and more into it. And I think they both wanted to have that experience. Mm-hmm. The willingness uh, was really present between both of them. Yeah. What was it about the theme that really resonated with you? You know, uh, you know, the term older woman is kind of a, a odd term, but you know what I mean? We're in that dynamic. We're seeing more of that in the culture where people aren't questioning it as much as they used to. It seems more of a dynamic out there, but also this is a two-parter, by the way. The mm-hmm. second part, I've talked a lot with uh, my girlfriends, friends that are women, I should say, about <laughs> yeah. that particular, let's say, age range and the, the trying to find love at that range, which I think there's been a lot of talk about kind of a dearth of it for some women right now, especially successful Mm -hmm. women going through a certain thing or whatever. Anyhow, two-part thing. Uh, What is it about that resonated with you personally about that dynamic that the film kind of shows in terms of the age and, and maybe what's uh, what people are looking for, what they're missing. Maybe that's a better way to say it. Well, I definitely wanted to make a rom-com, but I wanted to make a rom-com with a little bit of edge, with a little bit of something taboo Mm -hmm. in there. And so, you know, this was really right up my alley. This is a, this is a subject that we're starting to have, you know, broader conversations around, oh, you know, an age gap between a man and an older man and a younger woman is one thing, but what is an age gap between an older woman and a younger man? Is it the same? You know, Mm -hmm. where does accountability come in? Where does you power, where do the power dynamics come in all of these conversations are starting to evolve and there's new language being formed around this conversation and that's what i was interested in like oh people are going to be talking about this people are going to be you know and they were from jump from the first image or like oh well she looks like his mother like how how could that work you know that's hilarious like, I go out every day and i see men that look like you know <laughs> that look like somebody's daddy you know and you know they're out here doing their thing you know so it just it brings up all of those questions it's also very funny um but i don't think i have really any answers around it but what i like Mm -hmm. most is that it has that that twist and that edge and that people will talk about that um because you know for me mm, you know i think that you know you could fall in love in all type of unexpected way. Yeah. So just have the experience (laughs) and then you know figure out the mess later. That's what Jenna did. (laughs) exactly i mean it is interesting to just jump into something and figure it out are you cautious about it you know there's you know the rules are always changing about relationships and how you find people now you've got apps and things like that but yeah friends are always involved it's it's it feels 
it feels simpler and yet more complicated these days for people out there. Yeah, I think there's more kind of coming at you. You know, I was in a long relationship, um, you know, before before my current marriage, <laughs> I was in a long relationship. Um, and when I came out of it, you know, I went into the relationship before the apps. I came out of it after yeah. after the apps. Yeah. So it was kind of a little playground for me. I was like, oh, you know, first I was embarrassed about it. Like, oh, yeah. you know, who's going to see me on these apps? And, you know, people did see me that like knew me from stuff. And that mm-hmm. was weird. Um, and then I met my husband, you know, so (laughs) it's just, you know, you just adapt and you adapt, you shift, you move on. Mm -hmm. But I had definitely gone through something similar to what Jen had gone through. And so I just felt like I had a point of view on that. You came out of a relationship and you were kind of like, how did it feel not to get too personal, but when you came out of that long relationship and you look around, are you thinking what's going on? Is Am I going to be with somebody? Is it, what what seemed like the biggest barrier to, to love or something when you came out at that time, came out of the relationship? Well, you know, heartbreak is the worst, you know, it was rough. It was, Mm -hmm. it was a rough moment. And, um, it just, you know, it just took, time and you know rebounds (laughs) it took time and rebounds to kind of you know get to the other side and then feel open enough to you know be open to another love story for myself Mm -hmm. and you know that's yeah that's what jenna is also facing and i don't i think the whole love thing took her by surprise i don't Mm -hmm. think she was really looking to fall in love again. I think she was really focused on getting her career back on track and finding right. a sense of self and, you know, not, not being destroyed by no longer being part of a power couple. Um, I think that was her focus. And of course, the minute you don't focus on meeting someone, you know, when the minute you become lighthearted about it all, is when you fall on your face and fall in love with somebody. So that's what they say. Although <laughs> I know there's, these are the conversations that I've had. There's, there's a lot of women these days who are very successful or they're doing it out in the world. And, you know, I would say the ages between 35 and 50, especially like they have said to me, especially like it's just harder for them at those ages to find men than it is for men at those ages to find women. Have you had those conversations with any of your friends of that type of thing? I've had those conversations, but it's like, it's hard for me because I've just never felt like, like I'm happy. I got mine. Get yours. <laughs> like I can acknowledge that. Um, That's so wrong. <laughs> oh man. But also, you know, I think that, you know, it's not that I haven't felt, you know, the pain, you know, the pain of yeah. the heartbreak. I haven't felt loneliness. I've just, I just never really looked. You're like, oh, girl, I remember when I was sad. I remember those days, too. Oh, I just look at it like, <laughs> everybody's got something crazy going on. That's true. That's true. You know, I don't know. I just, and yeah, I don't know. I have a, a little bit of a different point of view about it all. I'm like, uh-huh. yeah, I, I know it's a lot of trash out here, but at the same time, trash. it's a lot of fun out here, too, you right. know? Are you, were you a rom-com fan before you uh, did this movie? I, yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. But I think actually my whole career has been somewhat of a rom-com. Um, you know, everything I did with Black and Sexy TV, mm-hmm. almost every single web series that I did uh, was a romantic comedy. We just weren't calling them that, right. you know, but we're all messy love stories with laughs, you know, and I'm like, I just kind of realized, oh, that's, actually a pretty big piece of my wheelhouse. And I mm-hmm. think, um, you know, it's one of those things like when you're acting, you always, well, for me, I always was like, oh, I mean, like such a, dr- I'm a dramatic actress, you know, I'm maybe even a character actor, you know, mm-hmm. I'm this, I'm that. And those are roles that I did and roles that I can do. But really when I did my first comedy, when I did my first comedy, The Couple, that is when I really opened up and I, I just was like, oh, I'm a comedy. <laughs> it was one of those things that kind of hit me on the head as I mm-hmm. went along. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so I so I've still kind of flabbergasted sometimes. Like, yeah, I of course I did a rom-com though, because I've been doing rom-coms my whole life. Yeah. I just never looked at it that way, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, it's funny yeah. how unconsciously you're just doing the thing that 
you're kind of connected to without even knowing what it is many times, you know? Yeah. I love, love stories. I love mm-hmm. romance and I love funny things, you know, <laughs> and I spend a lot of my time watching, you know, stand up. Like I know I get on everybody's nerves. Like I'm always watching whatever special is the, whatever latest special is out. I watch mm-hmm. it, you know, it's just, I just really love it. And yeah, to be able to make a movie with some comedians in it and actually make a movie that made people laugh. I'm like feeling pretty good about that because I wouldn't have looked at my career. I wouldn't have looked at my career that way. Maybe 10 years ago when mm-hmm. I wouldn't have thought that. Did you want to be in the business growing up? Was it something that came to you later? Ever since I was a little girl, it's all I ever really? wanted to do. Mm-hmm. You know, since I was seven or eight years old, I was writing love stories. Um, I was acting in school plays, but, you know, never the lead role or anything, just whatever they would give the black girl. That was my part. <laughs> you were the maid. You were the maid, right? Yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was the Christmas tree one year. The Christmas the tree. Christmas oh, play. my God. You know what? I was a center of attention. There you go. everybody was around me. I had the lights on oh and everything. Um, so I had the bug for this, you know, very... Very, very young. Mm-hmm. I was also directing since I was a kid. Really? Wow. Yeah, I didn't call it directing because I didn't know that's what it was. I would just tell my brothers and sisters what to do when we were pretending to be some people that we weren't. Mm-hmm. You know, then when I started making movies, I realized, oh, I've always been doing, I've always been directing, um, you know, since I was a kid. So yeah, I've just, I think I was kind of born with the bug. And it hasn't really let me go. And how did you first break in? Like, I, you know, there's a lot of people who want to do what you're doing, who listen to my podcast. And they're always fascinated by, you know, those first break in type stories. What was your first real break in breakthrough type story? Like, what was the process of it? Well, I feel like it was, it's definitely been kind of fits and starts. You know, I made mm-hmm. a short film to me, that was a break in because I actually got it done and, you know, screened it at a small festival. Um, but that was a big break for me, just mm-hmm. making my own films. Um, and I did maybe five or six short films and then connected with the group for Black and Sexy TV, which I feel was my big break. So, and I would call Black and Sexy TV my big break because not only was that um, series that, I owned with that collective, but that was like directly to our community. There was nobody in between right. us, you know, it was us making things, putting it on YouTube and our audience immediately responding to us. And I, I got famous off of that, you know, like, like Issa with the uh, awkward black girl. Exactly. Yeah. We got a deal with HBO as well. Our deal was shelved, sadly, you know, that was sad. Um, but that was my first kind of break was, you know, getting a, getting a call from HBO, you know, about the series I was starring in the couple, which was just something that we made with friends and put on YouTube. And, you know, and so it's, I would say that was, that was the first break. And then the next big break was when I made my first film Jezebel. Mm -hmm. And until I made that film, I don't think I was properly introduced to the industry until I directed that feature where people could say, Oh, this is Numa Perrier's voice. This is what she cares about. This is her style of filmmaking. So I would say those are the two things, very self-generated breaks, (laughs) but uh, yeah, those were the things just making the stories that I wanted to make with my friends, with my, you know, peers, and then having that noticed by the industry at large. Do you feel like you have a voice? Do you know what that voice is? Or is there a certain thing that you know that you artistically are trying to express or you themes you just come to over and over? Well, I know that it's important to me to center black women, mm-hmm. you know, to cent- to center our stories, our point of view, you know, a, a, the movie or the show can be full of all different types of things, but I'm really interested in our point of view, you know, and like, right. and I think I'm also realizing that I like exploring things in the workplace, um, you know, whether it's a secret romance mm-hmm. <laughs> or it's, you know, what does it look like, you know, to be a sex worker, mm-hmm. you know, at the beginning of the virtual space. Um, you know, I like, yeah. And other projects that have come my way that I'm interested in involve black women in the workplace, you know, overcoming things or making history. Um, 
So I think my voice is around those things, around things that feel personal, that feel close to my personal story. Mm-hmm. But also, you know, I think I'm also defining my voice. I feel like I'm sure. just getting started in a lot of ways. Um, but those are some key things I care about. Do you think um, opportunities are getting better for Black female directors these days and Black female stories? Uh, how do you feel about that? I think somewhat. Mm-hmm. I think that there's been some cracks in the door and that, you know, mm-hmm. some of us rushed through those cracks. Um, you know, though I had done, you know, uh, gosh, at least a dozen what I call independent TV web series. Um, you know, I wasn't in the DGA. None of those, none of right. those shows were were you know union shows they were very micro budget we were barely making it every week um but it was when you know ava gave me a shot at directing my first tv show on queen sugar Mm -hmm. and you know this is after i've done all of these things already that's when i got into the dga and for me that was like a huge milestone because i could like have insurance and a pension plan and all the things that i didn't have over 10 years so but there's still so very few of us in there. Um, yeah, opportunities have been created for me and I've stepped into those opportunities, but it still feels like just a crack in the door. Just hearing you talk about it, it seemed like it was so important for you to have done those things by yourself. So it gives you a certain amount of confidence, you know, when you're taking on those those bigger projects and and that sort of thing. Like, do you, you really encourage that for people that want to do that, just go out and do it. Would that be your piece of advice? Well, what I feel like it's done for me is that I know no matter what, I can always do this. Nothing can really ever be taken away from me. You know, I could, I could, you know, get a bunch of horrible reviews. (laughs) Everybody does though. Everybody gets bad. No, but I'm just saying like, (laughs) let's say like this movie really, 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 really bombed, you know, it's not going to, and it's whatever. It's a very charming movie. It's it's all good. But if it did, I know that I could still do this because I've done it before from zero all the way up, you know, and, um, and I have a network and a community and resources Mm -hmm. understand what those things are. And those things strengthen me as I do more in the Hollywood space. But if all the Hollywood stuff were to go away, I'm still here. I'm still good. You're still an artist. Yeah. That doesn't change. I'm an artist no matter what. And I'm able to do my own shit no matter what. And so I would always advise that to people because it gives you that thing that no one can ever take away from you, which is your certainty, your control of your craft um, and your, your passion for what you're doing. And yeah, it's, it's great to be able to go and get hired for things and, you know, to like get more famous. (laughs) Um, But it's, there's nothing like knowing that you're good no matter what. That's right. That's where you get the confidence from for sure. You know, you know, one thing I really like about this movie. It feels some of a lot of it feels like comfort food type of rom-com. Uh, and, and what I mean by that is there's a lot of things that seems intentionally just meant to give you the feeling that you're on your couch on the most comfortable couch in the world (laughs) (laughs) watching these people make out or whatever. Like there's even touches these old school touches, like she has an answering machine. Like who has that? There's a window that's rolled up in it. I noticed I'm like, who's what, who's in a car like this these days, you know, like they almost seem like these intentional touches to kind of almost put you in its arms. You know, I mean, that's my artistic yes. way of saying it, but um, no, you got it. I'm so glad you're mm-hmm. bringing this up because it's very intentional. Mm-hmm. Part of it is from the book and the script and yeah. the character of Jenna. She's that analog girl in a digital analog, world. Yeah. You know, part of it is me um, because mm-hmm. I'm not an analog girl in digital world, but I like I like a lot of those things. But I also really I wanted to make a film that not only like felt like films that we want to feel like before, but in a visual way. Yeah. So the great rom coms that we know and love, no matter what they are, none of them have text messages up on the screen because right. people weren't texting each other and this and that, and so. I said there will not be any of that in my film. It's kind of retro in some ways. Yeah. 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 I had to rewrite all those parts, you know? And so I just communicated with the team early on, Hey, 
I really want this film to be devoid of that. And I really want to lean. So let's change this to an answering machine. Um, you know, if they go on a date to drive in movie, of course he would have a vintage car. So, you know, I fought so for that funny. car, you know, yeah, I made them bring all these vintage cars, you know, and of course, you know, the thing would roll down. And See, I, I noticed things like that. Yeah, yeah you got it. <laughs> it was just really satisfying for me to not see any text messages pop up for mm-hmm. you to not have to like read text mes- messages on the movie. We found another way to communicate those things in a modern film. And what's interesting too, it's, it's a very passionate, sexy film, but it's also very chaste at the same time. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's Netflix fault. Yeah. <laughs> is that a Netflix thing? Cause I was like, oh, no. this is interesting. You know, I, I noticed that all the way. I'm like, oh, okay. The interesting choice. Oh, they're still doing that. Okay. Very interesting. Oh, okay. We're still kind of doing that. All right. We're going to just fade. We're just going to fade out here. All right. Okay. Fade out. <laughs> well, it's a little bit of me and it's, and it's a little bit of the studio. Mm-hmm. So if you look at my first film, Jezebel, that is a, a film that's like all about sex. It's all about sex work. It's all about yeah. You know, exposing yourself, but there's no nudity in that film, mm-hmm. but it's a very sexy film for me, you know, as very sexy, it's really dealing with sex in a really raw way, yeah. but there's never any nudity. And that was something that I loved uh, because it gave you that sense of seduction, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, you know, Ooh, you know, what's on the other side of that, that sense of longing. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted that to be visceral. So when it came to the perfect find, um, I knew there wouldn't be any nudity in the film. I think that was kind of a, a mandate on the studio side there, that there was to be no nudity in the film. I'm like a Netflix. Really? That's a Netflix mandate. That's interesting. I just think that they wanted a rom-com um, that wasn't too racy, but uh-huh. I was like, but also you hired me to do it. So <laughs> <laughs> I don't really know how to not, you know, I said, I can definitely do the no nudity uh, because I think there's a lot of ways to be very erotic without sure. that. Of course. Uh, yeah. And so we explored those things, you know, we explored, you know, how to do that. But yeah, I think it was a little bit of a, a tug and pull between me, the producers, the studio. I got a call one day, like, so how, you know, racy is this going to be? You know, <laughs> And I said, well, it's going to be what it's going to be. So what, what do you want me to do? You know, did, so, did the actors have a take on it? Like, were they? They were game for anything. Oh, okay. You know, yeah. well, most things, you know, they were game right. to try a lot of different things. Um, like there's the scene where they're just having their pillow talk a moment. Right. I really wanted to shoot that in a way that I hadn't felt that I'd seen shot before. Kind of and, jump cutty a little yeah like uh-huh. doing the jump cuts but uh-huh. also you know the, just the way that they were laying with each other right the way their bodies would intertwine i just wanted i just wanted to explore and they were totally fine with that um yeah we found a way to have some eroticism without the nudity so you're gonna have both feelings of like oh we pull away but we give you something but now we're gonna pull it away so we just walked the line What's the biggest difference for you working in TV versus working in film these days? Is it is there a frustration in one over the other? Or I'm sure they both have their challenges. Well, you know, in the TV space, I'm a guest, you know, mm-hmm. and you know, I'm I'm learning how to be a good guest. <laughs> you you got to be raised right, you know. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't raised in this, you know. So I, you know, I know exactly what you're talking about. Definitely now. learning, learning along the way, like you know how to be a good guest. You know, you, you don't come empty-handed first. First thing, you don't show up empty-handed. What do you, you mean by up, that? Explain that to them to us. You know, you don't show up. You don't show up to someone's house without. You know, this is like a lost tradition now. But you don't show up to someone's right. house without a bottle or something. But on a set, what do you mean empty-handed when so you're on, on a set? set you mm-hmm. know, you got to come with your preparation and mm-hmm. your ideas. You know, but you're also not going to overtake their house mm-hmm. just because you've got ideas or you've got a gift. You know, right. um, yeah, it's being really prepared all the way down the line. You know, everyone who's working on the show um being very flexible mm-hmm. politeness <laughs> you know um <laughs> understanding their needs above yours you know that those are the things that you need to bring as a director mm-hmm. you know and yeah so that that's a that's the main difference when i'm making a film that's my house 
Right. That's totally my house. You're you're painting the walls. You're putting up the curtains. You're determining this color. Welcome yeah. to my world. These are the worlds we're creating within that world. Um, you know, what are your ideas? But mm-hmm. it's like, I'm inviting that into my space when I'm making a film. Whereas when I go to do TV, I'm a guest in your space. They're both collaborative, you know? but in different ways, different types of collaborations. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, the the best films in TV to me are are dynamic collaborations, you know, but they I think they still need to have vision and someone needs to be guiding that vision, but mm-hmm. it's a collaborative process to get that vision across, you know. But I don't like the idea of no one having a vision and it's just collaborative. It's like a to me it's not a democracy. Like that's not the point, you know. The point is it's it's a group effort that's led by a vision, you know, in the best of worlds, you know, and hopefully it's not an asshole who's leading that vision either, you know? Right. I've been fortunate. Most projects I've worked on, it's been, it's been a good, (laughs) it's been a good experience, been good people. You know, it's like, even when, you know, we were working on reasonable Mm -hmm. doubt, you would come over, you know, and say something to me about it's, Oh, you know, I take that as a gem, like, Oh, okay. Like how Mm -hmm. can I translate that to the actor now? And then, you know, that takes us to the next level. It's you have to be, you have to know when collaboration is collaboration mm-hmm. and not mistake it for criticism. Exactly. And sometimes it takes a while to, to, to find that rhythm, you know, with the people that you're working with. Um, but that's, that's also part of the job is being able to find that rhythm quickly yeah. and, you know, go in there and do your best work. Yeah. I always try to be respectful of who the person is, or at least sensitive to it, you know, um, like I, I could tell working with you, you have a strong point of view, which is good, you know, and you have a vision for things. And, you know, I, I know it can be frustrating working in television under those conditions. So I like to hear what that somebody like you is thinking too, as I'm talking to, you know, and, and not just look, bitch, this is what you got to do. <laughs> you, know? you never look bitch to me not one time. Ever again. I don't think so. You know, I don't think the best so. part about working on reasonable doubt, this is what I'll say. One of the best parts about working on it was really our tone meeting. Yeah. That last tone we had, like, yeah. you know, for people who don't know, you know, a tone meeting is sure. when you, you know, as the director, you sit with right. um, the showrunners, the producers and the writing team uh, sometimes as well uh, and go over pretty much every single scene and what the point of view of the showrunner is mm-hmm. um, and also what your point of view as a director is and and find that sweet spot. Yeah. And like we had such that tone meeting was so good. Yeah. You know, I felt so prepared. I felt so in sync with everyone. You guys were so funny talking about Scorpio. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me just say the showrunner Ramla Muhammad for Reasonable Doubt. She's one of the most special people I've ever worked with. She's so, man, she's so funny. First of all, we get along. We are really like brother and sister, you know, we're just connected at the hip. And it's so great to have that type of relationship with someone yeah. like Ramla. But she also, she she's another very passionate person who every detail is, is logged in there somewhere in that brain, you know, and and it'll, it'll definitely come out, you know? And so she talking to her about something is, is so great because you'll, and sometimes it it, it can, even if it takes her a while to get to something, because there's so many things going on, you know, it's definitely in there, the vision for for something, but at the same time, she's so collaborative too, you know, she's, she, she loves hearing from people and hearing their thing. And that's what I mean. She's a good example of somebody. She's very clear about what she wants, but at the same time, very open, you know, right. It's rare to have that type of thing. Yeah. That strength and flexibility at the same very time. Rare. It's very like rare. You want body to have, right. You want exactly. your body to be strong, but flexible. You also want your talent to have those mm-hmm. skill sets inside of it. Uh, Cause you're going to need both. You got to be strong and flexible. Especially when you're us and you want to, work for a long time, collaborate with a lot of people. Good luck being an asshole. You know, (laughs) I mean, you might have a good run. That candle may burn bright for a while, but good luck. Yeah. It's going to come back around. It's going to come back around. Yeah. You just got to treat people right. Who were you? uh, Who were you influenced? Were you influenced by different people growing up? uh, Where you got, Oh, wow. I want to be that person. Uh, No, I never wanted to be anyone. I was kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I I didn't have a lot of, you know, like cinematic references because my family, 
um, we never went to the movies or eight kids in our family and just going to the movies was just not something economically that even made that made sense for our family. Mm-hmm. So I grew up on soap operas, you know, and I think that's why I was writing romance novels at seven mm-hmm. and eight years old and why I'm such like a romantic, you know, I, I love a love story now. Um, those That was my early influence was being on the farm, living on a farm with a bunch of animals having a big imagination running around on the pasture. Wow. <laughs> Being this uh, little farm girl that was dreaming of the big city. And I think that just gave me a really fertile imagination um, that I've just ran with. Are you, uh, you know, one of the projects you did was uh, the Black Herman thing. This was this uh, kind of an art theater piece is the best way to explain it. It's kind of interesting. Yes. You know, I'm, a lot of people know I'm into magic, you know, uh, do magic, member of the magic castle, blah, blah, blah. I ain't blowing my own horn right now. But how did this project come about? And are you, is this a space that you're doing more now, the theatrical space? Do you like that kind of space to uh, where you can be expressive in that space? Yeah, let's talk about it. Because yeah. when I did that, you are a magician. <laughs> uh, I got so excited. I was yeah. like, how did I not know this? And it just happened to be that we worked together on Reasonable Doubt right. while I had just wrote and directed this magic show, Yes, you know, with my dear friend, Derek Forger, who did a whole, he's a painter and sculptor. Very talented. He did a yeah. whole theme on magic mm-hmm. and Black Herman and asked me if I would, he, you know, write and direct a theater component to his paintings. So of course I jumped at that chance. Um, I love theater. My roots are in, you know, on stage and mm-hmm. theater. You know, I used to, you know, do a play reading class every week. So, and I, but I've always been drawn to avant garde theater, mm-hmm. experimental theater, like all the weird stuff that yeah. <laughs> no one really wants to see, but it's so interesting to kind of put together. So, um, so yeah, so we put this show together and then someone mentioned your name that you came by the show. And I was like, wait, what? I'm, <laughs> I'm working with him right now. And they're like, <laughs> oh, right. he's a magician. And so then when I saw you on set, I said, why are you, how come I didn't know this about you? You know, like, <laughs> I'm like, I ain't trying to play all my cards, motherfucker. I ain't playing all my cards for everybody. All That's along. what I like about you. There's <laughs> always more than meets the eye. You know, there's always more than meets the eye with you. Mm-hmm. Like literally because you're, you've got this background. So I've always loved magic, mm. loved theater. Um, I've never been a magician myself, but mm-hmm. I've always um, been fascinated with the idea of the art of illusion. Yeah. And yeah, so it's just a fascinating space for me. And then when I learned more about Black Herman, um, you know, it's kind of like in my film, how I learned about Nina Mae McKinney. I'm learning mm-hmm. about these prominent artists from the 1920s. Yeah who had so much influence over culture at that time, but have a little bit been invisibilized or, you know, erased. Absolutely. It felt amazing to bring that forward again and to have to offer a sense of discovery for people. Um, But yeah, the magic show is, I love live shows. Mm -hmm. So performance art is, is just something that I'll always love. Um, yeah, I'll I'll keep doing that. We gotta do a magic. I would love to. I don't know what, but should, we'll figure something out. We're all developing it now. Yeah, <laughs> but I haven't seen anything about you know the black magicians on TV. I got a couple of things. Um, I got a couple of things in my. All right, cool. I'll talk to you about it off the yeah. off the air. <laughs> um, but I agree. It's nice to um especially as an audience member to be introduced to people you may not have heard about, uh, you know, black performers that have gone before. And there's another, um, I'm working on a project right now. Well, when the strike is over, that's about, uh, Dick Gregory, Flip Wilson, uh, Red Fox and, uh, Richard Pryor, you know, and I realized some people, yeah, they know about Richard Pryor, but they really don't know a lot about these people and what, what they really meant to us they at the don't time. Really know. Yeah, what they really yeah. meant, you know, yeah. and what it was really like at the time. I would love that. I've been, you know, I want I really want you to share with everybody what your deeper connection is to <laughs> the world of magic. You know, I know that it's something you grew up doing, but what is yeah. about it that that keeps you there? You know what? That is a really good question. I think from the beginning, 
it was the most, the best kind of puzzle ever. You know, I think I have a, a curious mind. I wanted to be, I was really into science as a kid, wanted to be an astronaut, you know, and, uh, I still love science and that kind of thing. The discovery of things, why things are what they are. And even with behavior, that's where my writing comes from, from observing behavior, why people act the way they are, that type of thing. But magic was a puzzle that was the, you know, puzzle concentrate. It's like, well, how does this work exactly? <laughs> What's going on here? You know, and exploded my brain the first time I saw a trick, you know, but I'm fascinated by how humans react to illusion, you know? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. because illusion shows up in all areas of our life, you know, <laughs> and sometimes we call it delusion, but <laughs> right. Yeah. And well. you can go almost go to any institution in your life has illusion in it somewhere, you know, yeah. or, or another word that I like to use is there's a mythology, you know, mm-hmm. that's built into all of our lives. You know, in fact, the book, Sap- for sure. the book Sapiens is one of my favorite books. It talks about mythology in an interesting way. Magic taps into the idea of mythology in a very primal way, which is fascinating. It makes, and that's why when you show magic to people, the, the reason why I like performing magic is because of the reaction that it gets more so than the actual trick itself. And mm. what the reaction is, it's a magic produces a primal reaction that's different from comedy. The, the I know I'm getting all scientific and everything here. No, this is, I've been wanting to ask you this. I'm so yeah. glad that you're sharing and, it. And I'm, I'm expressing it as I haven't thought about this before. So I'm expressing it in real time right now. Mm-hmm. But to me, like, I was a comedian. I did stand up and it was, you know, it was fun to get laughs on stage and it's very fulfilling. You write a joke and someone laughs at it. There's a direct correlation between kind of the work you put into crafting a joke and getting a laugh or ad libbing and getting a laugh. It's very fulfilling, but magic is different. When you show someone something that they don't understand, it produces an emotion in them and it's a different type of laugh. You get laughs, but it's an uncomfortable laugh because okay. reality has changed for them. Something is different. And so the fulfillment I get from the reaction is a thousand times what I get from just a normal laugh. You know, so. Yeah. So what, what wow. keeps me there is the reaction. And I used to make fun of this reaction when I was on the nightly show, I made fun of how black people react to magic called the black react, you know, and you know, Wait, when, what's the sh- oh, when you show, when you show a white person a trick, they're like, wow, oh man, do it again. No fucking way, dude. You know, it's like that type of thing. But if you show a black person a trick, like, oh no, mm. <laughs> Hell no! Hell no, motherfucker! No, come No, you the devil, motherfucker! I mean, it's like a whole different reaction. Why is that so true? It's a whole different reaction. (laughs) You know, because black people do not have a comfortable reaction with the spirit world (laughs) and with things that are unknown. Things that are unknown. You know, Uh, (laughs) there's a very uncomfortable relationship with that. But I just find the humor. Of course, I'm making fun of it. But it's the audience reaction that drives me constantly, you know, Mm. because there's something about it that's different than a laugh. It's just different. You know, they're, they're, you know what it is? They're having an experience, you know, and people don't always get to have an experience in their lives, you know, Um, and especially close up magic, which is my favorite, you know, stage magic does it too, but I perform close up magic and I perform at the magic castle sometimes. And, and there's a couple of, and I know there's a couple of effects in my act that fuck with people's brains and I'd have it there on purpose, you know, where it's like, wait, what? <laughs> you know? yeah. And you cannot get that in. There's nowhere else in your life where that kind of reaction happens. Laughs mm-hmm. can happen anywhere, but wonder is different. How many times oh, do you get yeah. to have wonder in your life? Yeah. And so when people say, tell me how it's done. I go, you really don't want to know because they don't understand they're erasing wonder for knowledge. You don't want to erase wonder for knowledge. Knowledge is boring. You know, once you know, you're like, Oh, okay. And you move on. Wonder will last forever and ever. Mm. (laughs) That's so beautifully put. And thank you for, you know, answering that more deeply because I've been really wanting to know. Um, (laughs) But it's so true because you will see that so many children, they go through that magic Mm -hmm. phase 
yeah. usually just a phase. That's why I was wondering for you, it wasn't just a phase. You kept going with mm-hmm. it. it you know, but there's me. that no, like a moment me. in time where the sense of wonder is at an all time high, you know, and then yeah. something kind of happens and they roll out of it, you know? So yeah. wonder is really important. Yes. So the intersection with that and scientific curiosity, when you think of Einstein, the way he came up with the theory of relativity, where he was imagining a train moving mm. and in that space, he, he wonder brought him to this brilliant thing, yeah. you know, um, wonder to me is at the heart of invention, you know, and creativity, you know, it's, it's, it's an underused term, you know, I think that we don't, uh, we don't use understand enough you know we're we're kind of in a cynical age where people like to spend more energy knocking things or (laughs) batting things down you know rather than being vulnerable enough to experience wonder because wonder does require vulnerability it does and just even just the vulnerability of just showing that you have that sense of play curiosity it's yeah. something that you don't know because to have wonder, you also have to not know something, what, what you're saying. It's the other side of knowledge um, right. to be okay with like not knowing something and just, you know, being enchanted by it somehow. It's the opposite of being an expert. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's what we need more. We need more experts. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Everybody wants to be a fucking expert these days. Oh, well, I got the receipts for this. It's like, nigga, how about not having receipts what? for a change? How about, <laughs> you know, everybody has to have receipts these days and have the knowledge of something. And well, I knew that five years ago. Well, now I'm going to show you something that you have no explanation for. Now, what are you going to do? You yeah, know? let's get into it. Cause you know, listen, there's no explanation for some recent events, you know, under the sea and in the sky, you know, it's like, well, there are some explanations, but yeah, you know, there's definitely a sense of wonder involved there. Absolutely. And even religion, you Mm -hmm. know, um, it plays a part in it. Almost anything that, you know, is on that higher level, it's right there in it at the creation of it, you know. You don't have religion without somebody wondering, why am I here? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And, and why not does it having matter? an answer. That's the big one. <laughs> not having an answer was key in that, in the invention of religion. There's no answer for something, you know. I would argue there's still not an answer, you know, which is why people are constantly searching in that area, right? Yeah. You know, death is still one of the most fascinating things, you know. Yeah, and magic plays right in right into that, you know. I know. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I, I love know. that we just nerded out on magic. I know exactly. Oh, so you know exactly. that um oh this is like off board, but um No, that's yeah, right. Uh, the the Kradansky gallery that did the magic show that built the stage for us, um, mm-hmm. they're having their 20th anniversary in july oh great i'll make sure that that you get the information please i would love to come uh for those of you in the los angeles area it's in los angeles it's a it's a nice nice gallery there and you'll see some interesting artists and stuff it's really cool um numa thanks so the i mean i feel like we could chat for hours just on these types of things but it's so great having you on uh the perfect find you guys it is comfort food for rom-coms. I think it's, it's so enjoyable. And, and I think Gabby is underestimated as a comedian. She's really funny. Now here's, here's my take on her. She, Gabby is the type of a uh, star, I think who would have fit well, except for her color, of course, in the old studio system. Like she's a Claudette Colbert, you know, like she's that type of thing. Mm-hmm. She's the, um, you know, what's her name? Um, my lady Eve, who's my, in my lady, Eve. but she's, uh, everybody out there knows that they're yelling at me right now, but she has that kind of old studio system stardom to me where she, you could put her in anything. Yeah. I mm-hmm. think, you know, she's very malleable in that way, you know, but anyhow, it's really charming guys. Go see, see something passionate. It's about love. Yeah. You know, Numa's an old softy, yeah. old school softy here. Anything, anything you're working on coming up that, uh, else, anything you want to mention? I'm, I'm working or? on no things, you know, it's like during the strike, it's like, oh, yeah. you know, we're going to just like kind of quietly, you know, on stuff. It's actually, you know, that hasn't, it hasn't felt that way. I feel like I'm reassessing everything right now. I have a bunch of things that I could be doing. <laughs> 
And right. maybe I will be doing, you know, once we, you know, get our contracts in order. Um, but right now mm-hmm. I'm really just milking this moment of enjoying the rollout of this film and just yeah. um, being proud of myself and the team. Yeah. Barbara Stanwyck was the oh, name Stanwyck. I was trying to think of. Oh my God. Yeah. Yes, of course. Yeah. She, she's in that school. <laughs> oh, you yeah. Know. Uh, Betty Davis, oh, those type yeah. of stars where she's, you know, she's, you know, she's got her voice, but she's sexy. She could be in any environment. Yeah. She could be a bus, but she could be an ingenue. You know, there's so many different things that she's so malleable in. She could do, you know, and, and she's, but she's always likable, you know, in those things too, you know? Yeah. And she has um, a real spirit of play right now. Like she wants to yeah. do things that, that just feel good to her and that, you know, show different, different parts of her. So, you know, that was the perfect pairing for the perfect find. Yeah. <laughs> For the pre- yeah. Wow! Look wow. at that! Look how it all yeah. came together, you guys. Perfect find on Netflix. Yeah. Thanks so much, Numa. Thank you. 